Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Apple Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. This podcast is brought to you by FetchClass.com. FetchClass.com is a teaching and learning system for teachers and students to teach and be taught. Signing up is free. Go there, FetchClass.com. Also, I want to let you all know about my Patreon campaign. Go to Patreon.com slash Apolog. Podcasts are always free, but this way you'd be helping the show out by pledging as little as much as you want. It would be really helping me out. Thank you so much for doing that. I also want to let you know about my Amazon affiliate program. Go to apolog.ca and click on the banner on the right side. Whether you're from the UK, you're from America, or you're from Canada, you bookmark the link and go to that link every time you shop and you'll be helping the show. It costs no extra money. Awesome. I also want to let you know about my website for my recording studio, insightrecorders.com. I do a whole bunch of stuff. I record, I do live shows, I tour manage. Go there, and it's a good thing to find out how I can help you out. Okay, do that. Also, I want to let you know about my Facebook page, the Apolog Podcast. Search that out on Facebook. Like it. Tell a friend. Also, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give it some stars. I've been getting some really good feedback. It's been helping me out with the charts, getting in the charts, if you know what I'm saying. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at SimonHead666. Woo! It's a minute and a half of stuff. Uh, so today, Mr. Russ Rankin from Good Riddance. I've known Russ and the band Good Riddance for 20 years now. This is hard to believe. But Russ and I met in 1995. I, did, I was their first Canadian touring sound man. It was good to hook up with Russ, good to talk to him again, good to know about what they're doing. You can go to grpunk.com and learn more about Good Riddance, see where the tour dates are, see when they're going to be in your town. So everybody, sit back, relax, listen to the phone conversation I had with Mr. Russ Rankin of the band Good Riddance on the Apolog Podcast. Russ Rankin, good riddance. How have you been? It hasn't been that long because I think you were up in Canada a couple months ago. Right, doing good. Yeah, we we since we were in Canada last, we went to Australia and New Zealand and had a really fun time doing headlining tour down there. It went really well, and then uh, we were able to play the in San Francisco at the Fat Records 25th anniversary show, which was a lot of fun. And we're just getting ready this weekend to head over to Spain to play a festival. And then just over there for one show and then right back home again. So pretty busy little stretch for us. Did you think like after taking six years that this would be, uh, you'd be back in the, back in the, on planes and driving around again? Did you ever think this would happen? I didn't. I was pretty, I was pretty convinced when we stopped that we were going to be stopped forever, Mm -hmm. but you never know. I did a couple of towards the end of the end of the career tours for you guys in the two thousands, and it always seemed like there was yeah. what what had happened. Just people either lost interest, or there was a shift in the music industry. There was a shift overall where punk rock wasn't yeah. really you know revered anymore or loved. But yeah, I mean, you guys came back, and it was really exciting that you came back for me because it 
what was Thanks, sort of, what was what was it leading up to like you know i've heard chuck's story chuck t- tells me a story a little bit because he's been on the podcast he's on episode two you're actually episode 45 oh, nice. episode 45 nice. so uh you know i'm getting real good at this stuff now actually i still suck at it but <laughs> <laughs> you never let that uh you never let sort of grie- grievances or being in a band with somebody for so long sort of get to you guys you just sort of put it all aside and said let's let's do it or was it a there was always love like what led up to you guys getting back together well i think that even though like a lot of bands you know our our history was peppered with um some like on my on my end for sure like i started resenting the other guys in the band and over what now in hindsight seems really stupid and shallow reasons but there was uh it was stressful for us because it was all we did. And we, we, our lives revolved around the band and me personally, I started succumbing to lots of pressure that I put on myself. And I started comparing our band to lots of other bands, which is never a good idea. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of lost, I, I wasn't really able to see the forest for the trees like and then I'm saying this all like with the benefit of looking back now, mm-hmm. but so it was like you said we we were on a limited schedule because of uh, you know Luca decided to go back to school and finish his education, which was you know a really heady decision by him a good call, but it it basically took our constant touring and brought it to a halt, and then. I think that to keep fans' interest, a lot of times when you're a middle-of-the-road band like we were, you really have to stay out there and stay in their face, and we were we were not doing that. And then I also think, like you said, music, the musical landscape was shifting. Uh, you know, we we'd been in a really good spot for a long time. You know, bands of bands of our ilk from our era were, were had a pretty good run, and and we put out a record in 2005 or 2006, I think, called My Republic, which we were pretty proud of and then it didn't sell and then we went on tour and nobody came mm-hmm. and so we were like oh okay we see what's happening here mm-hmm. and and we didn't want to be one of those bands like spinal tap and puppet show we didn't want to be that band and so we figured we we should uh, walk away on our own terms with some with some dignity and some grace yeah. before before somebody else put us out to pasture it was, um, in hindsight, too, a good move because coming back, it seemed like there was a lot of hype and people were really excited. And it's part of their, um, there's, it was just the right time. I think people were like, where, where's Good Riddance? What's going on? Did, did you ever post anywhere that that's it? We're done, finito, final show? I, I was that, yeah, yeah. 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 But people missed you guys. Well, no, they did. And, and in the intervening years, we were continuously offered, uh, the chance to get together and play for this festival or that festival. And we turned them all down and we were just moved on with our lives. You know, as you know, Chuck and Luke had, were raising a, a family, had really young children. Uh, Sean, you know, never stopped playing drums, just kept playing from in band after band and never got off the road. Mm-hmm. And I was busy doing other stuff. And so we, we were all pretty busy. And I think that, part of us getting back together to play was the fact that we missed playing those songs and the fact that we had all be, had gotten to a place after five years where we actually could, could give it a go. Like we actually had some, a little bit of time and 
you know, we weren't sure if there would be any kind of demand or what people would, if people would care. And so we, we set out to just play a couple of shows and then that turned into more and that turned into more. And next thing you know, there's a new album. So it's, but all, all that stuff, the stuff we've done since has all been really um, organic. Like we didn't have any grand scheme. We just wanted to get together and play a show or two. Yeah, it's a really cool thing because I, I got the uh, I got a call from a really weird, mysterious call from somebody from the Americas saying, um, there's this band coming up and playing North by Northeast and uh, we might need somebody to do sound. And I'm like, well, who is this band? You know, who's this? What is this secret? And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and it was very cool. They, you know, and I, I actually talked to Chuck about North by Northeast. So you said, you said it was kind of weird. It was, it wasn't, you know, once we got to Montebello, it seemed more like, oh, this is why, you know, this is, this is sort of yeah. thing, you know, but you know, let's, let's go back a little bit because Good Riddance is a, I don't know. I, I find Good Riddance because you're all so different people and I, I'm always sort of confused and amazed how you guys can kind of you know, get along with each other's differences and, and still be a, a loving band. You know, I've been in this situation where I've seen you guys. How'd that work? How'd you start? Well, I'd been, I'd been kind of, I kind of fell into singing for a band. Uh, and there's just some guys that I knew and they, you know, we, we played parties here and there. And then Luke's band was playing around the same time they were Luke was in a thrash metal band called Root Awakening. And but Luke was starting to on his own make the transition from like he was he was listening to bands like DRI and bands that were in RKL that were kind of crossing him from the metal world over into the punk world. So he was starting to be that guy. Sure. And I met him at shows and we we became friends. And then one time our guitar player uh, broke his wrist skateboarding and we had a couple of parties and or shows booked and Luke agreed to, to fill in on guitar for, for our band. And, and he, that worked out really well. And, you know, he and I had stayed friends. And then in the early nineties, probably 1990, his band broke up and he asked me if he could join, join my band. And you know, we, we started calling the band good riddance. And then he and I basically, once we were in the same band, it, it became, really clear that we both had, we had similar, we had similar interests. We both wanted to write original songs. We both had a dream to sort of get out of our little beach town and, and tour and make something of it. Like we had a, we had the same work ethic, whereas a lot of people that we found to play with over the years uh, really didn't, you know, and you and probably anybody else that's been in a band can relate to that. Like mm-hmm. you kind of got to go through the lineup. You got to go through till you find like-minded people that are willing to do the work. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of guys, a lot of guys want to be in a band, but not a lot of guys want to make the sacrifices that it takes. And yeah. so we did that, and then we kind of stumbled along, and and uh, but we recorded some good songs, and we played as much as we could. And then in 1994, we were looking for a new bass player, and Luke went to Kinkos to get flyers made, and Chuck was working at Kinkos, having just moved to Santa Cruz from Long Beach. And Luke said, and Chuck was like, "Hey, you got." Fl- you got these flyers looking for a bass player. I'm a bass player. It looks like, Oh really? And so that was that. And then mm-hmm. Chuck joined our band. And that was that. Chuck tells me stories about working at Kinko's. <laughs> great. Sto- I bet. Great stories with little hidden swear words while he's speaking to old people yeah. and things. Like that. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't that long before you went on to fat records and, uh, and at the time fat records was a very new company and 
Yeah. And it's just Fat Mike and, and his wife. and No use for name, Propagandi, Lagwagon, uh, Strung Out, you know, a NoFX, a NoFX EP in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and then us. And yeah. so we recorded our first album in in 94, and it came out in 95. Mm-hmm. And then uh, <clears throat> you toured. You toured and toured and toured, because that's when I first yeah. met you in Toronto, yeah. Ontario, Canada. Yeah, that was a fun, that was, you know, that was sort of Good Riddance's first time, like, on tour when I met you guys in 95? Yeah, we toured. Uh, we Our album had come out, and we'd, we'd done a little bit of touring around the U.S., and then we did a full U.S. tour, and then we did, we had a tour booked all across Canada, uh, like Vancouver to Halifax, mm-hmm. with a couple of U.S. dates in between around the Great Lakes. And we didn't, our drummer had quit after our first U.S. tour, the drummer that was on our first album. Mm-hmm. And so we got uh, Tony, who was in 10-foot pole at the time, to fill in. And we we we, hit, we went out for, man, it must have been like six weeks mm-hmm. all across Canada with him and it was a blast. I mean, we we didn't really know, we didn't know anything. It was our first time in really touring across Canada, mm-hmm. first time in Toronto, first time in in Quebec, all that stuff. So yeah, it was uh, it was really fun. And and sort of the band dynamic is is it's like what I was saying before. It's so it's so diverse, and and you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't do anything. And and then there's there's party like parties after parties. Being in bands, you have to sort of somehow high five all the other bands and did you ever find that tough like to try and hang hang i guess is the term yeah yeah it's always it's always been a huge struggle for me uh being you know the lifestyle that i have and the circles that we that our band sort of ran in were were not were not that way like the circles our band kind of ran in were were a lot of drinking a lot of drugs and so I, I was on my, my own a lot, mm-hmm. um, kind of by choice. Like I, I could say like, yeah, it was, that was a bummer, but I mean, nobody dragged me from my home at gunpoint and <laughs> told me I had to be in a punk band. So like I kind of signed up for it. And so early on it, it, it got to me later on, it got to me. And then now, you know, I got, I got to a point where I could kind of make peace with it. Mm-hmm. I got to a place where I was able to, to mend fences with my bandmates and, cop to you know my my poor behavior and and uh let bygones be bygones and yeah. and then nowadays if we're out on tour playing shows if, if there's a lot of uh drinking and drug drug use going on i'm able to just remove myself from it and and my bandmates uh have always been and continue to be supportive of my choice mm-hmm. and uh, so i don't really have any issue with them Mm-hmm. over that i just i I just there's a lot of things that i've experienced that i wish i could unsee like a lot of behavior that that i feel is aberrant and unfortunate but uh i suppose it could be that way with any anything you choose to do there's two approaches i mean there's a there's a fear of what's happening on the other side of i guess the proverbial fence uh and yeah. and, and then there's the all right. Well, i know these i know and trust these people i know they're not going to be uh shooting up heroin tomorrow yeah. these, these are all people that can sort of as, as i've heard handle their high and uh and after yeah. all these years and you you sort of 
you carry the flag of the straight edge and I, I don't like to generalize. Yeah. I don't like that word really. I, th I think because that's, I mean, do you still hold that flag? Is that sort of your belief pattern? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm straight edge. I'm straight edge and I, I've, I associate myself with that scene. I mean, that's uh, a big part of, of my participation in this, in this lifestyle and this music is through the straight edge scene and a lot of the bands that I identify with and being, being a, an advocate for a drug-free lifestyle is, is a huge part of, of who I am. That being said, uh, our band has never been a straight edge band has never espoused that theory or, or waved that flag. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a mis a misleading thing because we've often gotten billed or, or called that and it bums the other guys out. Hmm. And, uh, and of course it's my fault because I'm straight edge and that people just assume mm -hmm because they look at the singer first. But there's nothing really you can really do about that. Uh, anybody who knows us kind of knows that we're a mixed bag of guys and yeah. that we're, we, we've never called ourselves a straight-edge band. No, and, but you're in, and your lyrics are very, you know, they're your beliefs, and you're the singer. You're the one that should... Who said that the band needs to sort of believe everything everybody else would say, you know? And, and truthfully, I, I think that, you know, Straight Edge in the early days of people that I knew of Straight Edge, it was always a little bit depressing for them because a lot, everything kind of offended them. And, and they ended up staying in their rooms for their, for the period of their twenties. And, and then, you know, because <laughs> they're, they're so, you know, freaked out about everything happening around them that they just couldn't handle. And then they become sort of indoor people and video game players or whatnot. But it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I've no, I know guys who hang, who are straight edge and, and vegan who, who like to hang out with people who are completely off the hook because they say they're fun, yeah. you know, and, you know, I don't think you hold, that's not your beliefs. You know, I think you want to, you want to associate yourself with people who are like-minded. Am I, am I going too far by saying that or is that? No, I just, I, I just, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of alcohol in general. I've, I've never seen it improve any single person or any situation. And so just, just my experience as, as if anything, it has reinforced the lifestyle that I chose and is, mm -hmm. and I, I just do my best to stay as far away as I can from, from people that are intoxicated, but like in the punk world, it's hard. And I, and I know that. And mm -hmm. so I'm choosing, I'm choosing to be, be around it. I just have to know when to, when to go away and when to practice love and tolerance. And there's uh there's like that. And there's trigger points to that whole thing. And, and I know a friend of mine who's recovering and he can't, he can't deal with this, this, this whole idea of being around people with alcohol in their system because it will only trigger his addiction. And that is, you know, mm -hmm. it's a scary thing, you know, to be sort of overcome. And I, you know, I'm, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go too far into your personal life, but you know, do you want to talk about that stuff or is this something that we're, we're going too far? No, it's okay. But it's, but I mean, I, I don't really have much more to add. Like I, I understand that it's it's a it's a price of doing business in this world is is being around being around a lot of drunk people <laughs> and a lot of alcohol and drugs and so my my choice is to participate to the best of my ability in the band and the business that needs to be done but at the same time to to know that that I I need to stay as far away as I can from, from that stuff when possible, because not because I'm afraid I might drink, but because I'm afraid I might hurt somebody. 
there's nothing wrong with having beliefs like that, you know, that there's nothing wrong of having a core value from a young age or, or a time in your life that says, that's it, I'm going to be that way. I have no problem with that. And I'm sure everybody, everybody who, who knows and loves you has absolutely more than the love for your, your choices in, in your, 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 um, yeah, I direction. mean, you, you would, you would think so. I mean, the guys in my band are supportive. My friends are supportive. People who know me in the music scene are, are pretty supportive, you know, but it's still, I seem to be the drunk magnet. Like I'll just, whoever the, whoever the most obnoxious drunk is in the room is just going to gravitate towards me. I don't know what it is, but, um, you know, and I still get, I still get, you know, full beers thrown at me. I get lit cigarettes thrown at me. I get people right in front blowing pot smoke at my face, yelling straight edge sucks while we're playing. Like I still get those people. Uh, um, so that sort of is a, is a bummer. I but, bet. I bet. I bet. Mm-hmm. I bet. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that go out and, and fight for beliefs. And I, I think, you know, that's something very cool, but let's, you know, let's, let's, let's switch gears. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk, okay. a, let's talk about your solo career. Cause you, uh, you've been, you've been writing songs as a, you know, as a solo artist for pretty much yeah. your whole life, right? Like ever since, since when? I know. I mean, I basically, when, the, when Good Riddance wasn't playing, like it's, I mean, you know, as a songwriter, like you can't, you don't, you can't just stop. Like you can't just be, it's once you've, once you're a songwriter, like I think that it's tough to, it's tough to shut that off. Like you can't, you don't just stop writing songs. And so, there was no band anymore. Uh, I'm singing another band, but the music that's for that band is, is not music that I can really write. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I'd pick up my guitar and I'd be coming up with all these, all these kind of melodic songs. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine who's also a songwriter in the band and who playing solo. And he said, well, I, I like, I was like, man, I have all these songs and I got nothing, nowhere to play them. He goes, why don't you just play them by yourself? why don't you just play solo? And I, it never occurred to me. <laughs> and so, so I started doing that and it was, it was, a, uh, it was very, I don't know, scary at first cause it's super different vibe way outside my comfort zone. Uh-huh. I'm not, not a very good guitar player. Like I've always been a guy who is a good enough guitar player to write the song that I want to write so I can write lyrics and melody over it yeah. and then show the basic, chords to luke and then he plays it right like that's kind of how it's always been yeah so i had to learn how to play guitar a little bit better and then when i went to go record my first solo album uh, that was another experience you know learning how to play actual open chords on the guitar which i'd never learned i only learned how to play like johnny ramon yeah and so learning how to play open chords and then having to be recorded and having to like sit there fretting a c and haven't punched me in just on that note. Like it was super embarrassing. I'm like, you know, like a grown man ought to be able to, I know a grown man ought to be able to move from a minor to C without having to get punched in there. Like yeah. it was kind of a wake up call, but, uh, it, it was good. I mean, it got me to be conscious of it and get better and practice and learn. And, yeah. And so I just keep playing, uh, solo as much as I can. I haven't played in a little bit, but I'm going to, and I'm, and I'm still working on some, new songs to do another album hopefully soon and uh, the capo is your friend if you're uh if you're yeah i just started i just started playing around with that i didn't really know what it was and and again this same person that had suggested that i play my songs live 
I suggested I use a capo. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know what it was or how to use it, so I just been screwing around with that. And now, now most of my set, uh, I use the capo for almost every song. So I have a whole album called Three Chords, One Capo. Um, yeah, that's what. You, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in with you, man, because uh, I I'm a bass player, and I had to learn how to play guitar to be in a band that I started. And it's it, you're right. It, it's scary. It's a scary proposition, but but at the same time, the learning curve is a little easier because you've been in studios. You understand the concept. Uh, you're not you're not 20 and or or 16 right. again. You've kind of got a little bit of knowledge under your belt about how the process works. And, uh, I know how the process works. I just don't really, I, I just wish I was a better guitar player, but yeah. I don't, uh, I, I say that. And then like, if I come home from work, I'll, I'll put on a hockey game and I won't play my guitar. So that's, that's on me. Like I gotta, yeah. if I really want to get better, there's a guitar sitting right across the room from me. And so if I really want to get better, that's nothing, nothing stopping me from getting better except myself. Well, you're right. You're right. And there's everything happens for a reason when you when you're playing music and learning how to play uh, every chord in the book. It still doesn't make anybody an amazing songwriter. I think a lot of music and that I've heard you guys write is always very based on an emotion. The melody is very important to how your songs are structured. There was a few shouty songs, but the shouty songs yeah. are, are balanced nicely with with melodic songs that that cut through and, and, and that's what sort of sets you guys apart from a lot of bands, which, you know, and that's back in 95 when I first saw you guys, I'm like, Oh wow, this can be, this basically turned our, our little world on its ear essentially, you know, which is, that's, that's, that's progress, <laughs> you know? No, that's, that's cool. I, I appreciate that. I, I, I guess I just more mean like, cause my, my live thing is usually, like I have a Fender Telecaster through an amp, so it's a little bit, a little bit of crunch, a little bit of distortion. Yeah. But I also play. I do have an acoustic guitar that I play sometimes, and I just want to learn. I want to learn how to play all the open chords, so that if I do need to play my acoustic, it sounds it sounds full, like it sounds right. Like and and like because I'm the kind of guy that like once I open that door and like learn how to play a proper C, like mm -hmm. I want to learn how to play a proper everything. Yeah. Like I just don't want. To Asset. it so yeah. so i'm you know I, i've got it pretty dialed in i'm you know but i but i could be i could be practicing more than i am and that's on me yeah now but i you, will but i will do you call do you like being you obviously like being in a band but solo is you know would you rather have it a name no no because it's it really is 100 percent like top to bottom stuff that you know that i wrote like no one else wrote it and yeah there's a lot of good written songs that that I wrote, but and and even though like I I wrote the song, like the fact that other dudes are playing it and putting in their little flair here and there, I think is makes it a little bit different. When it's just me, like like front to back, like I wrote everything. Yeah, uh, it's it's different. It, it's definitely it definitely is solo. Uh, so at some point, I could see uh, like the so some of the songs I'm writing for for my next album are I'm going to demo them with a band. Like I'm going to have a drummer and, and I'm going to play guitar and bass on it and we'll see how that goes. And I don't know if that's something that could, that would be transferred live with, it was just me and my guitar. I don't know if I'd want to tour with a band. There's a lot of, a lot of unknowns, a lot of stuff I'm still kind of finding out because it's a, it's a completely different dynamic mm -hmm. and it, it travels differently. It, it, it sets up and, and sounds different. And so, 
and I'm still still really kind of starting out with it, still trying to figure it out, and and still not even 100% sure if it's any good. Uh, I keep asking people that I trust to like tell me, hey, is this should I just should I just pack this in? Like, is this even good? And and everybody everybody says it is, and and even people who who I know would tell me if it wasn't. Uh, they, they're telling me it's good, so I'm just going to keep going. Well, a good song is a good song is a good song. So there's no, like, if it's an acoustic guitar and you could make it fit in a band, or if it's a band and you can make it fit into an acoustic, it doesn't matter. But you're right, you got to practice. you got to get that part together. And, you know, if you want to, and it's confidence, too, because people, people sniff the uncertainty. If you're yeah. on stage yeah. and you're just sort of like, yeah. little plucking away. That's a, that's a big, that's yeah. a big part of it. Yeah, it's yeah. being being comfortable in that setting and being able to roll with it and, and, and carry it. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big part of it. Do you got your in-between song banter figured out? Cause that's important if for a singer songwriter. Yeah. Yeah. I got it figured out and I've, I've even learned how to kind of do it while I'm tuning, which is a big, <laughs> a big, a big hurdle to cross. Do you sit on a in stool that, in that world? You sit on no. a, no, no stool no. sitting. No. Oh, okay. No. Hmm. Well, you know, stool might help, you know, gets people in the mode. <laughs> No, I like to stand with the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't there a thing you're supposed to do a solo show in between Good Riddance shows? Is that is that still a possibility that you'd go and play that the next day or the morning of, like somewhere else? Like, is 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 this been brought into the into the the new touring dynamic? Uh, it's been proposed, but n- you know, nobody. I don't think anybody in my my band gives a rat's ass about my solo career, so they're just. There's not really going to be. I, I wouldn't want to put him in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we had a. We tried it one time in London, Ontario, and it didn't work. I was there. Uh, because yeah, we I mean that, getting everybody up and out and and on the road just so that Russ can play his dumb solo show. Like I think that's a lot to. That's a lot to put on other on the other guys. I don't think they they signed up for that, and I don't blame them. So, yeah. I would prefer to keep it as separate as possible. And the other thing, too, is if the moment seems fitting, like if you're playing a festival during the day and someone else is handling that part of it and you're not affecting, it might be good, a good sort of parachute to get out of uh, a festival and go into town and play a show, even though everybody's at the festival. But regardless, there's uh, another thing to do. I mean, that's that sounds exciting. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm open for anything. I just, I'm, my big, one of my biggest things that I that I can't stand is, is any if there's anything that I do that inconveniences the rest of my band, like if I'm late for anything, if I if I cause anybody to have to wait for something or to not be where they need to be, like like if I'm late to the airport, like I I just hate being I hate being the guy that holds anybody else up or inconveniences anybody else. So I do my best to just keep it. I wish there was more people like you. <laughs> well, and it, yeah, yeah, that, that's okay. But I, I I just so like with. For to me, trying to like work solo shows or in and around good, a good written schedule, I think it's just a recipe for for chaos. I don't think it's going to be a good idea. Well, you know, if you're in Europe, you can book another week and go do shows, you know, with your acoustic, and there's nothing wrong with that because you're already gone, flown one way anyway. So there's there's a good option right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's cool. New album. Let's talk a little bit about this new album because I was uh, I was talking to you about it, I guess, and I'm like, where are the where are the bridges? Yeah. There's no bridges on any of these songs. There's a couple bridges. Yeah, yeah, I know, but that there's there's I I like that part though. I like the fact that it goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bam, and it's done. There's no filler in this whole album. It is 
it is tight and it's not that long right like what's the running length of that album your new album I, I don't i don't know yeah i think it was like 32 minutes or something it's longer than a weezer album so you got that going for you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean was that was that a was that a uh on purpose thing to have no real fill and just have the point in was this a, a an approach or just by accident well now i'm like now that you said there's no bridges i'm like trying mentally like cataloging it trying to think of what there whether there was any bridges or not i'm <laughs> I I'm pretty sure there was, but I mean, I, I the songs I, I write songs differently than Luke does. Yeah. So on the, on the Luke songs, I would imagine there's not any bridges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I usually usually I will usually put a bridge in mm-hmm. uh, on the songs that I write. Maybe not, uh, but no, we we wanted to. We went through a pretty extensive degree of weeding songs out during this process, like. They really had to wow everybody if someone brought a song in for it to make the cut. Uh, so I think that we got a lot of, like, we really got the best of the best that all went on there. How many songs did you did you sort of put on the table, or was it sort of slowly happening and then the good ones just stayed? Yeah, that's that. I mean, I was just writing all the time, and I would bring in every couple of rehearsals, I'd bring in new, new songs and play them for the guys on my guitar. We'd kind of show them, and then we'd run through it. And I would, if I didn't have lyrics together yet, I would sing, like, just gibberish words, but in but I would sing the melody that I had in my head. And then, you know, we'd kind of let guys would think about it, and and then yay or nay, and then if it was nay, then okay, next. What, what else you got? Yeah. Uh, so we just were kept, we kept bringing songs, and we kept making sure that they, they stood out and and wowed everybody. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't, then they didn't. They didn't make it. And what was the regimen of writing? Was it you guys all? Because they were in such a digital world now, where you can just write over the internet and send people songs. You don't even live, yeah. live in the same country anymore. Was there any sort of that emailing of riffs and and things like that? Uh, I I garage banded a couple of songs together and emailed them to the guys. Uh, emailed MP3s to the guys. Uh, but generally we had, we had Sean up for a while where we had, you know, booked quite a few rehearsals where we would just kind of jam in there and so, you know, and we would, we would have ideas like in the five years that we weren't playing, uh, I had, I had written some songs and I actually demoed some songs with a drummer that were more sounded like punk songs. And then, Two of those were songs that the guys decided they liked enough to make them good riddance songs. Mm-hmm. So they were on the album. But they they initially were been demoed with just a drummer and me. And then Luke had a bunch of a bunch of killer riffs that he'd been kinda of sitting on and had been wanting to use. And we, we, we ended up making a lot of putting a lot of those to use. Mm-hmm. And that's just kinda of how it was. We'd get together and we'd start out with who's got new stuff and kind of roll from there. There's some funny videos on Facebook of Luke writing in his laundry room that I thought was hilarious with a little tiny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So essentially you guys picked your songs, you were smart about it and you went and recorded with Bill and Livermore in San Francisco, right? Yes. Same place. Where, what was the studio? I can't... It's called motor. Oh, is that, Okay, so so it wasn't anything to do with Livermore, uh, Jason, Jason Livermore, right? It wasn't any more to, anything to do with his stuff, or is it his studio? No, 
Now, just to I think it's I think it's Mike from No Effects Studio. So the fact is that you guys were there. How long did you take to record the album? I don't know. I th- I want to say two weeks, maybe three. <laughs> That's short. That's a short time. Yeah, we 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 didn't uh, we didn't screw around. How do you find it to the, by today's standards for recording, as opposed to you know two thousand and even ten years can change how a record's recorded? Did you did you embrace it? It was tough. It was tough because. Just getting the time off work is tough for everybody now. Like we had guys that had to leave and come and go, and and uh, like I, I was always used to just kind of you go to the studio and you don't even see the outside until the record's done. Like it's you're just in there, and then. But the way we did it was was probably a little more sane, mm-hmm. and like I I came I came home every night from the studio because. Uh, my girlfriend was not not amused with me being gone for that long, but but only being like an hour away or so. Yeah. So I I came home every night, which was which was cool to have some kind of sense of normalcy in my life. Mm-hmm. And then I uh, came up during the day, worked worked full days, and then. Uh, but like, there was a couple of days that Chuck couldn't be around because of work. A couple of days Luke couldn't be around because of work, and we just made sure that everybody was working you know, the time that they had, we made sure that they, they made the most of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the days that the days that Luke couldn't be there, like we just, we did vocals and I was there or mm-hmm. days that I couldn't be there. Uh, we made sure that we recorded a vocal at the right tempo mm-hmm. with a band. And then they would just use my vocal when they kept, I, after I left, they kept running Sean until he got better takes, but they had my vocal in the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Still get the you know same. What I mean? I know yeah. Yeah. Recording to a click you can just run the same run the same scratch track to help the drummer get the, get the takes. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're in the click is the, is the, the click is the, the all encompassing timepiece that everybody plays to. And back in the olden days, there wouldn't be a click and you just sort of like count it off and play and you couldn't do that, that idea, that approach. It would be no, pretty no. impossible. You could, you could punch, yeah. you could punch in and keep recording, but you you couldn't like uh, say, and you could if as long as you had a good drum take, that's all that mattered, right? Like you would have to, you would have to be in the old days to do it. You would have, you would have had to invent the uh, tempo map and not without Pro Tools, which I don't even know how you would do that. There's ways to do it. If your song does tempo changes, you just have a drum machine and you have two two different uh, patches and you you do that kind of thing. But the whole idea yeah. of having a relatively good drum take was the was the key to making your album go, you know, you're stacking everything on top. Yeah. But but nowadays you can just sort of say, well, I like the vocals, I hate the bass, and I kind of, I'm okay with that, but let's let's work the parts that we can, and everything is kind of like, in the digital age we're in now, everything, I think, is more effectively done, and, and I mean, there's also a trade-off for what, what, I'm using very loose sixes and nines of vibe, but if your vibe is intensity and, and four, to, four on the floor and give her hell, yeah, <laughs> that's all you need to, you know, that's all you're doing, you know, you're not trying to, yeah. you know, it's, we're not talking about, uh, I don't know, Sergeant Peppers, I guess we're, you know, we're, yeah. we're talking about Motorhead and Motorhead was intensity, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, well, that's really cool. And the album came out and when I was talking to Chuck, there wasn't even a name or he didn't want to tell me the name. It's called, it's called, uh, it's called peace in our time. 
it's on Fat Records and coming back to, I, I've had Erin Burkett on the show and she talks about like, well, everybody, everybody's a family at Fat Records and to come back after all those years, that must have been kind of nice, you know, having a familiar face to deal with again. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Like, and I mean, they were, they seemed pretty stoked with the idea of us doing another album. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it was easy. Like they just said, what do you need? And how can we help? And we just got to it. <laughs> yeah. That's... Obviously the the budget recording budgets are, are not what they used to be, but that's probably prudent on, on every, at every aspect. The, the amount of digital sales versus CD sales is, is completely changed since you guys, you know, since 2005. Yep. Yep. It's all about digital sales now. It's unfortunate, but I've had this conversation with the people about how do you put an ownership on a MP3 download and how, how do you make something... You remember in the old days with your album, you open your album and you have your liner notes and you have your vinyl. Yeah. How do you... It's, a, it's, a, it's an unanswerable question, but how do you get ownership back into that sort of world of iTunes and digital downloads and how do you make something yours again? Do you know? I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that the, like the way that I consume music is, is completely different now. Like I don't really, it's, it's all streaming. It's all like Apple music. And mm-hmm. so I'm not opening, I'm not reading lyrics. I'm not uh if I want to lyrics to a song, I can Google the lyrics and get to read the lyrics on, on, online but i don't uh i just like to listen to music that i like and i just don't really worry about you know where did i leave that cd like it's just (laughs) i have access to it i have access to it all the time whenever i want and uh i really like the way apple music rolls their the the for you section where it basically reminds me of back when friends used to make me mixtapes like okay. they, it, it gets it gets to know what I like and it puts together playlists, mm. and so far it's been spot on and it's it's a lot of fun and I'm discovering new bands that I like or new bands that that I had heard but but had never really given enough attention to and reacquainting myself with so it's been it's been really cool but but you're right it's a it's a very strange way to consume music giving given you know our our age and what we grew up with. It's a it's a massive shift, and uh, and so it's no surprise that that bands are seeing record sales as such drop. And it's all about touring and playing shows and selling merchandise over the table. And it's kind of like I mean that's that's a safe way to sell stuff, man. Like that's a safe way to yeah. do business. And at least back in even if you're on an uh, you guys had a Fat Records deal and and it was all you know pretty much above board but I've been in some deals where it's been very shady and very like, where are all the records gone? Oh, they, yeah. they went out of business and we don't have any more records left. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I thought you said you printed 5,000 copies. Oh no, we only printed 300. I'm like, well, how am I to be, yeah. how can I go and defend this? Yeah. So now it seems like they've, even though the financial loss is maybe a little higher for bands like Bon Jovi, it's a little better for bands that of our the bands we like because first of all they're not going to be on pirate bay the bands we like um mm-hmm. and they're going to be introduced to you through like streaming services like apple music and spotify and yeah. i think that's that's actually kind of inspiring in a way getting into bands that you never thought that's what youtube's for right like you see a band play live and go hey yeah. i really like this band and then you know so maybe we don't need that romantic thought of opening up a 
33 and a half RPM record anymore. I, I don't, I, I loved it when it was happening, but I don't really miss it. I miss, I don't miss, I, I don't miss the clutter. Uh, and it sounds stupid, but cause that's, you know, in the, in, a, in the real world, there's more things that can clutter up your house, but, hmm. but I, I don't miss, like, I don't have any CDs or records in my house anymore. I yeah. don't. Yeah. I have, I have, I have iTunes match. So all the stuff that I ever, that I ever imported in my iTunes library is saved and I have access to it anywhere I have an internet connection. Mm-hmm. And I have Apple Music, which means I can just listen to whatever I want as much as I want with no ads and as many skips as I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I basically have access to all my music, including all the CDs I ever owned and all the vinyl I owned that I archived on the MP3. Mm-hmm. I have access to all of that, plus however many billions of songs Apple has in, in its, its library that I can just grab or listen to or check out. Sounds like you you followed the trends from the from the you you saw what the curve was and and you're completely on top of it because there's a lot of dudes my age you're like what computers what I don't know what that means yeah. you know the files are in the computer that that old that, that yeah. it I you know I've I've tried to talk people through this whole process of how how the recording's done uh, and it seems very like wow there's some people that get it and there's some people that don't and. But we're getting there. You know, and I always said we'd enter the digital age where my mom can understand yeah. what, what Pirate Bay is uh, and go yeah. go get her episodes of um, Cracker or any British television we can't get here. And I thought we've officially entered because she now knows what uh, Pirate Bay is. <laughs> I'm probably selling well, her out now. That's good because I don't know. I don't even know what Pirate Bay is. Yeah. Actually, it's, it, it's a, I, maybe I turned my mom onto like the dark web by accident. Sorry, mom. If they come rappelling through your window, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was a good idea, Simon. But I, she's gonna have the she's gonna have the cops coming down. Pirate Bay's for losers, man. Go to Apple Radio. There you go. I've covered my ass. Well, hey, Russ, you're you're coming through town, right? Uh, you're going on a tour. It's starting soon, right? Like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the end st- of end of September? Where's it starting and where's it uh, where's it ending? I think we start in Philadelphia and Toronto was the last show. Oh, okay. And great. then, and then, and then a couple of weeks later we do the Northwest and the Western provinces of Canada. And does, does Goodreads have a, a website? Yes, we do. Uh, but I don't, I don't know what it is. I think it might be grpunk.com or gr-punk.com. Okay. We'll confirm that when we do the, when I do the, yeah. uh, when they do the, the out. Facebook, the Good Riddance Facebook from, from what I've heard, the Good Riddance Facebook is the is the place to go. You don't even need a website anymore, huh? It's like it's in, it's insane how Facebook has completely consumed. Well, I don't know if you can get to our store. I mean, because on the website you can get to the merchandise store, mm-hmm. but but our Facebook. Now, I don't. I'm not on Facebook anymore, so I don't really know what's on there. But mm-hmm. apparently, according to Chuck, the Good Riddance Facebook is the is the best place to go for up to the minute updates and whatnot the hub yeah and you guys do twitter or is that a um yeah yeah yeah. at gr underscore punk okay for twitter that's right okay yeah yeah it's that's kind of neat huh like that's something we didn't have back then i mean it was just in its infancy as youtube in 2005 when you guys sort of you know packed it in for the first time but everybody can safely say that we're we're glad you're back and i'm sure there was a few people who were like what you should have just stayed where you were but Screw, yeah, them. Screw those I'm people. Sure. Who needs them? Yeah. Well, yeah, like the world, the world really, need, really needs another band, but oh well. 
<laughs> I, you know, the whole thing too is if if you're coming from a point of view that is as true as it was in the beginning, how can someone get angry at you guys for doing something, carrying on what is considered from the heart and honest and no BS? And you know, there we go. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you later. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Russ, for doing that. That was fun. Good times. So, everybody, one more time. Open my notes. Fetchclass.com is a place for you to learn, teach, and be taught. Go there. Fetchclass.com. Also, my Patreon campaign. Patreon.com slash Come on by. Pledge. I don't know. Do whatever you got to do. You'll be helping me out. Okay, I already got two pledges already, and this is, I, you know, let's get four, okay? Let's get four, and that way maybe we could, I could buy you coffee when I see you. How about that? Don't forget about my Amazon affiliate program. I'm looking, and I'm seeing people are doing it. I love it. I love it. I love it, but we could always use more. Go to appalog.ca. Click on the banner on the right side. Bookmark the link. Shop. Costs no extra money. Danke. That's German for thank you. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review in iTunes. You can check us out also on Stitcher Radio. Go to Stitcher Radio and search out Apple Log Podcast. D- check out my website, InsightRecorders.com. Go there. Don't forget to ra- uh, like the show on Facebook. Go to Facebook and search out Apple Log Podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at SimonHead666. Next week, we will see you here on Monday. This is an extra episode. I'll be here. Bye-bye-bye.